All right. Bless you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and has commanded us to be engaged with the words of Torah. O Lord, our God, we ask that you make the words of your Torah sweet in our mouths and in the mouths of your entire people, the house of Israel. May we, our descendants, and the descendants of your people, the house of Israel, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Bless you, O Lord, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. Bless you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who chose us from all the peoples and gave to us his Torah. Bless you, O Lord, who gives the Torah. Amen. All right. So how'd you do on James? Did you well, study it all? I did. Okay. It, it, it brought back a lot yeah, of memories. A lot of memories, man. I thought this was poor shot. Kid of Kid Machine. Yeah. <laughs> what a great book. It is a great book. It and, it's, and it's short. It's really just, you know, five chapters. You know, what's the matter? Did you not do it? Um, Where are you going to get asked? <laughs> um, okay. One, I forgot my Bible. Second, okay. sadly... Uh, I wasn't able. I was only able to memorize the first two verses. I was so busy that for the past week, hey, you're two verses ahead of a lot of people. Okay. Me. I, didn't yeah. I, yeah. I, I can recite them right now. Yeah, yeah. James, we'll wait until you get servant of the Lord Jesus Christ <laughs> to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad. Greetings. <laughs> yeah, it's the greetings part you got to get. It's the greetings part because that's the whole story. That's the whole story of the letter. If. Um, Thank but you. that is pretty critical. If you manage to get the entire book memorized in just one week, that would have been pretty stellar. But yeah, I mean, yeah, but a little bit at a time. But the intro is Baby steps, baby steps. We don't get to that until the end of the thing. Oh, Gee, come on. Where is it's it? the beginning of the book. I know it's the beginning of the book, but it's the end of the study thing. Uh, all right. So, so, what are your thoughts, just on the whole Jacob deal? I just kind of glossed over it, but curious. I think it's a shame that we gave the poor guy a name that has nothing to do with his actual name. Well, Jacob and James mean, were, mean were the same well, thing. they were still cognitives of one another. So, you know, you can't diss them completely. Do I agree with it? Certainly not. Yeah. So do you think it's part of the, uh, the whole... Who paid for the translation? Kind of thing, or uh, a bias on the part of the translators? What's ironic is that the Book of James, which we, if we were to assume it was named after the uh, king, um, is actually one of the few books that Martin Luther actually thought about throwing out of the canon. He was ready. Yeah. He wasn't the first one. So of all books to name after the king, James is one of the heaviest hitting ones. It has quite a bit of Torah in it. Yeah. Yeah. It, to me, this was always like the most Jewish, most like Hebraic book of like the Apostolic Scriptures, pretty much. That's interesting. It's, That's just, interesting. it's so focused. Like, it's almost like deliberately over, in, like over in your face. on the other side of works because of just what danger there could be if mm -hmm. you, you went too far on the faith side. Or, or on the, you know, the grace side. Well, do you think that the church has done that? Yeah. You give me an example. Well, or, or I mean, six. I think the it, it's it's a mistake to pick the two commandments that he points out when he gives his beautiful little analogy where it's like, you know, you, you have adultery and you have murder. If you didn't commit adultery but you did commit murder, you still committed like sin. Like it's still bad. I think it. 
it's a mistake to see those as like he, d uh, you know, I think he was just deliberately trying to pick some heavy hitting commandments. Yeah, right. But you can the insert. Ones we all agree. Right. But you can insert like the whole any commandment into that, and it still works. You know, and I think. But actually, he is, because his critique is talking about partiality, which, I mean. I don't know which version of the Torah you've been reading, but that one's a hard one to find. Yeah. And he's going like deep level. But the sages, there. but the sages do the same thing. Oh no, I'm yeah. not saying I'm not saying he's incorrect. I'm just yeah. saying that like like ironically enough, he uses those top level ones, but he's like, forget about whether I'm eating pork or keeping Shabbat. Obviously, you're doing that. We're going like for the yeah. really nuanced yeah. stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I, I mean, I think the church misses the applicability of the rest of the Torah. It's like, because he, he does use other examples too, like about envy and about anger and, and other things that are reiterated through the apostolic scriptures. So I think the church in general would say, yeah, those are good things. We definitely need to do those. But they're neglecting like the context in which he was writing, of course, is to Jews, and he's referencing the law. Right. So everything else in the, in the law that are considered like the works of the law that, that are so frequently like tossed out or, or, or just dissed. cast aside or dissed, that's exactly what he's referring to. And he's saying that's what, re, that's what confirms your faith, which I, I remember this, this pastor, this always stuck with me, but he was talking to like this big youth conference and like really like shook them up when he was basically saying, like, you, none of you can tell me that you are saved until I see that you're saved. And he was, he used the analogy. The fruit. Yeah, yeah, and he used the analogy. He was like, if I was just standing up here and I told you that on the way coming here, I got hit by a semi-truck on the highway, you'd be looking at me and be like, well, there's no way that's possible. And I, why? Because I don't look any different. Like, he's like, when you get hit with something that big, you change forever. And if, like, Christ has actually transformed your heart, you would never look the same. And it was like, nice, oh, nice. oh man, that's such a good point, you know? And I feel like that's part of what James is getting at here, where it's like, you better you better prove it, you know? Like, I need to see that you are, in fact, a faithful son of the covenant, basically, you yeah. know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, good. But also, I mean, I hate to be going to the end of the lesson, but the fact that he's writing to Jews, I think, is critical here, because... What he's doing, if you read this book, it looks like he is ripping into them. He's really, really tough on them. But then you look at the actual commandments that he's critiquing them over, and like I was saying earlier, they're the, they're the deep stuff. I mean, Paul is arguing about, you know, telling the Corinthians, how, how can you accept a guy who's, you know, committing immorality with even relations? The, even the Gentiles. I mean, things even the Gentiles don't do, right? And then it's like, but then, so we're not talking about that. I mean, James is hitting on things like Lishon Hurrah. He's hitting on things like envy. He's hitting on things like partiality. Yeah. I mean, it, it reminds me of the, the Pathway of the Just. What, what is the Hebrew for that book that we did together? Mishalat um, Yishari. Um, where like that book starts with, now that you're keeping the Torah perfectly, yeah. we have 13 more chapters to read. That's right. Yeah. And basically it feels that way with James, that, that he is assuming the, the readers are already deep in this and he is going to really hit at what he feels like are much like Yeshua does these nuanced things that are really ruining the fellowship that's well that's exactly what I was going to say is the master did the same thing you know, he, he looks at the Pharisees and 
and he says, you know, you guys are tithing mint and rue and, and spices. And that's cool. But the weightier, weightier matters, you should not be neglecting. Mm -hmm. But then he says, you should be doing both. Mm -hmm. You know, he's not saying it's stupid to tithe spices. Mm -hmm. it, you know, that's great. But let's not forget this stuff. So he's mm -hmm. hitting them hard, and I think he's hitting them hard, just like James is. They're brothers, by the way. Yeah. Um, in case you didn't get that part. He actually quotes you, she would. Yeah. I mean, it's, this, is, this is good stuff. So I, I get where you're coming from, and, and I, I agree. He's going for the... He's going to the folks that should know the Torah. And in my mind, he lifts up the Torah that much higher, the royal law, you know, the law of liberty. The perfect law. The perfect law, right? That's, that's not the kind of phrasing you would normally hear in the church. I mean, you, you've got to remind them that that's actually in the Bible uh, when you go well, forward. They, so. they, they use those as, well, this is the perfect law of liberty, as opposed to the other law. Right. Back up 300 pages yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, I, I, just a, a closing comment on that was in the same way that the master is speaking to the Pharisees as if he's one of them and just amazingly into keeping the Torah and connecting to God through that way. I get, I get, I, and I think you're saying the same thing, that James is, is doing the same thing to these Jews and saying, we're, we're all in this, doing this, we're supposed to be doing this, this is great. How come you're not doing all this kind of thing, right? Yeah, which is why I feel like he's so strong. Over what, what, quite frankly, to those of us who are not as good at these things, look like kind of the more the nuance right. type or, stuff. Or the non-Jews coming into it that we're going to talk about next week. They would have no idea what's going on here. That's right. This, they, way they, over their heads. this could not go to them. Yes. Well, I was I was thinking this is kind of one of those complete perfect messages to to a a people group because you have if the, you know you have in a group of people the, the the really religious Jews who would like be cut to the core with with passages like you know religion that is pure and undefiled is this mm. you know keep all halakha perfect that's not it at all he takes you straight back to what exactly Yeshua had been talking about visiting orphans and widows in their affliction mm -hmm. like that is like that is really really interesting yeah, so it's the same kind of thing that Hillel used to say yeah so that would, would immediately like cut down like a religious guy who thought he was good to go because he's keeping like all nuances of halakha but avoiding like a bunch of people that are poor and, sure. you know. or like a rich young ruler who might show up to ask somebody right. what he has to do to inherit eternal right. life exactly but then you've got like the other middle group where it's like Sometimes they're like really religious and other times they're not. Mm -hmm. And that's like mm -hmm. kind of the salt and the fresh water thing yeah, where yeah. it's like, hey, hey, whoa, you can't be both, right? And then, but then there's also like kind of the newer guy who is being exposed to like the, this encouragement where it's like, hey, you got to remain steadfast because things are going to keep going and make sure that you're like, you know, showing your faith. And, and here's a couple of examples of people that did. Yeah, you know, so hand. there's just like this encouragement too for like, you know, the newer guy. And it just feels like it touches on all the types of different uh, of people, and yeah. maybe even one person, but just at each stage of their life. It you could know? Be. Yeah. It's a really cool book. Nice. So, nice. I don't mean, I know we're eventually going to get to your lesson. Well, yeah, not only that, but I'd like to get the other side of the room, too. You, you guys jump in any time here, because these guys are just motor mouths tonight, and that's fun. I like how 
Yaakov references or quotes Torah. Um, I know a lot of times where I've heard Mormons say faith without works is dead. They're talking about missionary journeys. They're talking about other sure. things. But here, it's like, oh, here, you can go back to the Torah and see exactly where he's pulling from. Right, that's good. So, yeah. Which is a good way to refute the Mormons. Right. We're the Jehovah's Witnesses. Would that not be the work he's talking about? Yeah. What about this one? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like that. Right. Good, good. Anything else? Comments? No? Good? All right, let's... Yes. Sorry, I was. I think it was already said, but it's just amazing that the church doesn't see. Oh wow, those the adultery and the murder are the heavy hitters, um, and you know they're they're just saying those are of course things we shouldn't do. So yes, those are still laws that we <laughs> would obey because they're they're moral. They're not like the Torah. They're right, right, right. they're just. Well, you already said that, you know the gen sure. even the Gentiles would would right. do those things, do those things. Would, would avoid those things. It, it, a lot of times, if you get into a discussion with with folks that have that are not sensitive to the Torah or, or want to reject the Torah, go ahead. Well, and then um, focusing on loving your neighbor right. and, and stuff. And sort of a lovey dovey. They're like, see, we're going right back to there's only really two commandments: love God and love your neighbor. Right. And we'll just kind of generalize everything from there. By doing those, we're of course not going to do it murder or adultery. But, right. but he has to mention those. The, I, I, when I get into these conversations with those that are in the church, they, they want to divide the Torah up into ceremonial, the right. and ceremonial civil, and moral. And, you know, this, these, these are just not terms that are in the Torah. And you're actually breaking apart sentences to try and do that kind of stuff. Uh, or, if you actually tried to go and take the list and yeah, it's impossible. <coughs> separate them into those categories, there'd be so Drives many that nuts. would just straddle. And, and, and then <laughs> then you've got the whole issue of, wait, 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 you, did you just call that one civil? Or is it, I thought that was moral. And you know, he's over here going, well, well, no, that doesn't even come into play unless you're doing some kind of ceremonial thing, which you know, we don't have to do anymore. And so you, well, he just tossed out one of the civil ones. Well, you think he tossed out one of the moral ones, and he's over here going, how did you guys divvy these up? So, yeah, it's uh, and it ironic, amazing. And ironically enough, then, we're actually guilty of exactly what James is talking about. If you break one, you're breaking them all. Yeah. No, I thought he, had, he made a good point where he's talking about dinging your brother. Mm. He's like, well, you know, if, you, if you're dinging him and looking at what he's doing, well, now you're judging the law. Or, or a better translation would be calling the law or the Torah into question. That's not my job. My job is to work on this guy. Mm -hmm. And this guy needs plenty of work. I get more work than, than I can deal with with you guys. So you just paddle your own canoe, and I'll help you paddle your canoe. I have an extra oar, by the way. You know, that kind of thing. Also notice that he's got some interesting, almost diatribes against um, wealthy people, which is... In, was it chapter 4 or top end of 5? Top end of 5. Top end of 5, he... Yeah. Really lays into people, he got, he got but you know what's interesting? There. I think okay, so this is my theory. I think that when James wrote this letter, he had just got done reading the first thirty-seven chapters or so of Psalms, because it so happens that he alludes heavily to Psalm twenty and Psalm thirty-seven really? in this book. That. So if you look at Psalm thirty-seven, Psalm thirty-seven. So in the, throughout James, you get this idea of like 
don't don't want what other people have. Don't envy, right? Yeah. You also don't. He seems to almost say, like, why would you respect the wealthy? The other ones who are treating you poorly. Then he then he has this diatribe against the wealthy. He also talks immediately after the diatribe against the wealthy. He says to, um, you know, remain steadfast. You know, stick with it. God's gonna come. You know, the Lord's gonna come back. He's gonna reward you. And so Psalm thirty-seven says, "Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers." For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb, which is almost the exact quote from James. He's talking about the wealthy and their their uh, riches. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Going back to right. what you ask right. and do not receive. Uh, later on it says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Again, this is another thing that James is hitting yeah, on. Yeah. I mean, as you go through, I mean, he talks about the wicked being removed. He talks about, you know, the faithfulness yeah, was, of God. That was just devotional, though. Psalm I mean, 37 like, is wow. just really heavy. Then, if you go over to Psalm 20, which he may have been writing this on a Sunday, because it's the psalm of the day that day, um, on the first day of the week. Uh, I think it's Psalm 20. Is it Psalm 20? No, it's not Psalm 20. What's, what's the psalm of the day? Is it, uh, For Sunday? I, I don't know. It, it oh, might be 20. Not twenty. I just well, realized. I, it's I can 20. pull up a sitter here real quick. Maybe Psalm twenty-four. I'm trying to remember which one it is. I usually don't pay attention to which psalm it is. Yes, it's Psalm twenty-four. So that was easy. <laughs> um, Put the pressure on him. Get so it this one, he 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 quotes again. He says. He's talking about who will be, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, who shall stand in his holy oh, place. Yeah, conjure one who has clean hands yeah, and a pure heart, which yeah. goes back in, clean your hands, purify your heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, which also yeah, goes to his yeah. literature, yes, be yes, which no, be no. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Then if you flip down a little further, he says, lift up your heads, O gates, and be uplifted your ever, uh, O ancient doors. The king of glory may come in. Uh, then later on, at the, towards the bottom, who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Lord of glory is actually a, a phrase that he refers to Yeshua at the beginning of chapter 2 in James. And then Lord of hosts gets referenced as well in the book of James later on in chapter 5. It's one of only two times in the entire apostolic scriptures that the title Lord of hosts shows up. Hmm. So it seems very much to me that for whatever reason, James, Jacob, really loved Psalms 24 and 37. Got it. That is yeah, well done, bud. Well done. Let me adjust to it. Just 20, 24. Yeah. Got it. Nicely done. Say one. <laughs> exactly. Right. There's a lot of say in there. Cool deal. One of, the, uh, one of the things I was thinking of about the rich is that where you were in sure. the rich. Yeah. Um, those verses used to bother me a lot because it just seems so uh, counterintuitive to the stories that we have of the righteous men of the, the Torah. I mean, they're all wealthy men, all of them, you know, and... Um, well, patriarchs, for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, even, like, someone like David, Solomon, you know, um, and so I, I just always wondered, like, why, why is there such strong words against, like, the rich and stuff well, like that? But then so this just let me put in a book. real quick semicolon to say, once again... The master did the same thing. He never said riches were bad. He just made it clear. Most rich people have trouble, have problems. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of yeah. God. 
right? Same deal. Yeah. So I'm, I'm seeing a parallel. Well, yeah. So I've, I've been reading like just about money and stuff like that recently. And it, it, was it, a it cool totally. Video, by the way. Oh, yeah. Wasn't that oh, great? Man, yeah. Well, and so, but it totally hit me that James has it figured out and had never connected both of these sections where he goes off on the rich people. That's 5 1. And then goes right into. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Then he starts talking about farmers and about patience. And I realized it's actually like a, a parallel lines of wisdom and riches that are the ideal scenario. Where if, if you do it the right way and follow the way that I think Hashem designed it, your riches should kind of gradually increase with your wisdom. Because when mm-hmm. they run parallel to each other... That's when you're actually being patient and mm-hmm. you're not being stupid with right. your money, and you're you're not unnecessarily you know participating in things sure. that you and normally wouldn't because and of your you're money. probably generous mm-hmm. and you're probably because generous. you've learned over time. You've been learning over time, right? And and it just it all of a sudden nice. it's, it Good. totally made sense mm-hmm. because I think a lot of times it's the the rich young ruler. Right. Remember, right. like so much of this I think is geared towards people that come into wealth a little too early mm. where it's it's before wisdom so right, they think right. that they're invincible sure. they think that they don't need Hashem anymore they don't need the Torah anymore why why I have 99% wealth 99% of the people that win the lottery right are, are broke. absolutely broke exactly. in a year yeah I know that's what it's, it's exactly what I was thinking of and that's so anyway I think this is just it's amazing wisdom that James yeah. is laying out here where he's saying look you know Riches are, are not what you're looking for, the ideal. What you're looking for is patience because if just like a farmer, you continue to wait for that harvest as like the Lord prepares and you, you, you and work. you do the, the storehouses and, and you work, and exactly. then you're not going to fall trapped to the, the traps of money and you're actually yeah. going to end up being a very good person with your money. Yeah. As we've learned from Cornelius, a very generous right. man right. With, the, with the Jewish people. So I, anyway... That it hit me I like as that. I went I like through James. Yeah. That's that's an amazing I think parallel you, there. I think you get those kind of insights when you memorize long passages of scripture. And I know you've memorized James. And you get it all inside your head. So even when you're mowing the lawn, you can be going, Oh, oh wait a second, now in the and that oh those kind of things. That's cool. Yeah, Good. Next thing you, know, you have the lawnmower going shh. Well, you know what? I'd rather have that and understand the word of God better. <laughs> Yeah, Good. and also though, I think too. The, I mean, I think you're right. The Proverbs references the idea of wealth regained quickly, um, and also I think though too that the chapter five seems he mentions um, peop, uh, taking money um, from withholding wages from people. Yeah. And really, if you look at the book, if you look at Yeshua's words, and you look at James's book, Jacob's book, um, James' book basically looks like. Um, almost like a summary best hits of all of Yeshua's sermons. Yeah, that's, that's and, which was which itself is a um, slightly more detailed, longer Sweet version of, well, not actually, I'm not thinking of the Torah, I'm thinking of the prophets. Because the prophets, see, the Torah was taught us all of the ways of God. Right. And But unfortunately, along the way, people found it much easier, based on the prophets anyway, to do all of the what we would consider ceremonial things, right. ironic enough, those are the easy ones, um, to serve God. Right. But they they were very poor at serving their neighbor. They were not loving their neighbor like they were supposed to. So almost all of the books of the prophets are repeated rebukes and for failing to love your neighbor. And it's quotes about not wanting the sacrifices 
or caring more about right. the heart that the church picks up on and says, see, we're not supposed to be doing that anymore. Right, but he he's, what, what God's really saying is, I don't want you to pretend like you're close to me Stop and then not to love your neighbor. Yeah. And, and Yeshua comes down and he essentially gives the same message. He elevates it somewhat, he expands on it to a certain degree, and he's particularly, like James, I think, is really concerned with um, judging other people. Mm-hmm. Not just, I mean, that's not, that's not necessarily the, the don't judge me that you get from people today, but it's mm-hmm. more the idea of like Lashon Haraz speaking evil yeah. about yeah. people and, and to people. Um, because in the, because of course, as we know, the first temple is destroyed because of baseless hatred. Mm-hmm. So, so the second temple, excuse me, second temple. Um, so that um, that's really his focus of yeah. his ministry. That it's seems good. to be what what Jacob is doing too. I, I agree, and I don't have any problem calling him James. I really don't. I just maybe you don't see it as yet another bias to separate it from the the historical moorings of the faith, but I do. I just see it as one more opportunity for them to make it different so that it promotes the Old Testament, New Testament concept rather than, huh, this guy was named after his great, 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 grandfather. In fact, there was a lot that way. Anyway, good, 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 good. All right. So I'm not gonna, Joseph's son was Jacob. Assuming that Yeshua's father bore all the, uh, conceived all the other children. And his grandfather was Jacob. (laughs) Don't seem that that's the reason for the name. There you go, right. All right, so summary-wise, I won't put you on the spot for what you guys put down there, but what, how would you summarize this book in like one sentence? Forget each chapter, just overall, if somebody said, I'm looking for some scripture about fill in the blank that would cause you to say that you definitely want to read the book of James. What would they be looking for? What, what, what where's this hit? What, what's, what's the deal? Okay, I do want to put you on the spot. How to walk out your faith. Nice. I like that. How to walk out your faith. Good. I, when you say walk out my faith, I think two things. I think there's a visible expression with halakha and a walk, and I also think it goes over time, and therefore there's a degree of wisdom that comes with that. Because I think this guy brings a bunch of wisdom in. You know, it's like you're talking to an old grandpa who's sitting down and just wants to give you this is. This is how you should live. And our faith demands it. Our God desires it. And your mom would be really pleased if you just lived like this kind of thing. So that's good. How to walk out your faith. That's good. What else? Um, I would probably say something like how your life should look today and tomorrow and the next day. Like how not just a, a theoretical look of your life, but like like really tomorrow this is how your life should be. You want you wanna know how you should live tomorrow, like in reality, at work, in your family, uh, interacting with people at the store, 
like you read James. Hmm. Okay. I was thinking like righteousness 2.0. Uh. It does kind of feel like it's. Um, I'm not saying that it's things that you can't learn to do immediately, but definitely feels like it's like almost like an advanced class. But it's things that once you do know the Torah, you have no excuse not to be doing. I mean, that's why I think James is so tough on them. I mean, I think he, because Paul is, <laughs> um, Paul is a Paul uh, by the, uh, like the, the fact that the, the assemblies that he went and visited and planted and whatnot are doing baby stuff. It's like, guys, come on. Yeah. Like, you guys, you should we be so much further along. Time, just like, hello. What are you, what's yeah. going on here? So, but James's critiques are, like I said before, they're deeper. They're, they're a higher level. He's raising well, the bar. And I think the reason for that is because he expects more. Well, I think he expects, I agree. I think he expects more because I think his position, you expect more. You expect to hear more wisdom and hmm. a higher bar from the guy who's in charge. True. Right? I mean, that's, I think, why many conservatives were so disappointed with the Clinton years in the White House. And were so disappointed with the uh, Obama years in the White House. Where we had seen statesmen that represented America so well and, and set a, a, a tone. Whether their politics were good or they increased the debt or not is irrelevant in this, in this case. But there was a difference, in, and you'd expect more from them. And that's, I think, why many conservatives were so upset with Mr. Trump during the campaign. He just was not up there. So I, I agree. I, I, the whole righteousness 2.0 thing is, I'm not, I'm not hearing this from, from some guy who's got 15 people you know, coming over to the, to, the, to the river to pray every Shabbat, and he's just kind of the guy in charge. This is a guy who's in, who was put in charge of, or lifted up as the leader of the, of the community in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. that, I get it. So he's I, the I Nazi, see. so to speak. Yeah, yes, yeah no question. Yeah. Your brother being the Messiah, and, and you not believing it in the beginning, kind of get some of it just by yeah, osmosis. yeah, it's kind of splashed off at the table there a bit, you know. All right, Jonathan, anything else? Looks good. It's good. Yeah. All right. So, what about his uh, his look at the Torah? Just more specifically. Uh, I thought chapter 2, verses 8 through 12, was astonishing. Um, let me read that to you here. If you, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus 19, the master did the same deal, right? Here's a sermon. You're doing well, but... If you show partiality, you're committing sin, and you're convicted by the law as transgressors. That's interesting. For whatever, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it, which is exactly what the Master said as well in Matthew chapter 5. For he who said don't commit adultery also said don't murder. If you don't commit adultery but you do murder, you become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. 
why do you think he calls it the law of liberty three different times? Or two different times. That's not how the church sees it. And here's a man steeped in the Torah and very wise and in charge of the community, but he sees it as a law of liberty. Why? How so? Explain that to me, because I don't get it. I feel like I've heard that explained like when you don't have a law, you're sort of a slave to your own passions and your own yourself. And Romans, so James kind of talks about this. Romans did the same thing. Paul Paul says that. Yeah, uh, but then I didn't, there, there was I, I I didn't know sin until the law came. Yeah. Right. But then but then when you have the Torah, the reason that it's kind of freeing is because you know where the boundaries are now. Yeah. And you no longer have a uh, the this uncertainty mm -hmm. that you're having to wade through. And um, have you heard the uh, analogy about the kids in the playground? The playground. I use that all the time. I've I, I, I personally witnessed that. Absolutely. And it's uh, it's astonishing. It really is. Yeah. I, uh, is everybody familiar with that? From kind of run through it real quick for the yeah, folks. Yeah. Well, there's a study of like showing kids who played on a playground whenever there was a fence around the entire playground and how much happier the children were because they knew where the, their boundary ended, where the mm -hmm. fence was. They played right up to the fence. They would play right up to it and there was running and laughter and they, they took the same kids and whatnot and they put them in a playground with no fence at all. And there was a lot more hesitancy, there was like more bitterness, there was like friction and uh, the, the kids just didn't do well at all. And they hung near the building. Yeah, yeah, they kind of all stayed sort of central. Something, um, to, something to think about these days is with the fence, it also keeps predators out and you just feel better. I don't know about you, but I got a lot of doors to the house. Every one of them gets checked before I turn the lights out. Yeah. I just feel better. And, uh, well, it's interesting that... Um, and I got a gun on me. Another yeah. illustration from um, the Hair Discipline book that was, that was pretty good is he talked about the idea of a bridge He's like, if you're driving down a bridge, and the bridge has no guardrails, you are going to hug the center That's line. That's exactly right. Because you don't want anywhere close to the edge of that bridge. But if you have guardrails, you don't even think about it. Yeah, you just go right over the bridge. You trust the maker of the bridge. And I think that's the thing about, um, about the way that life works. I mean, I, you know, I, I've always felt like, I think it's really funny, you know, um, that... Uh, people somehow think that discipline or being uh, strict with your kids will make them upset. It's like, I've watched Greg's kids, and his kids seem to be some of the happiest kids I know, Amen. and they have some of the most rules. I mean, I don't know how many other, you know, three-year-olds you know that will sit quietly for two hours in a service, but, you know, and the same kids seem to be thrilled with life. Amen. So I think that that definitely works that <laughs> no. way. I mean, and not to, not to overbeat this drum of uh, Jacob loves the Psalms, but... Psalm 19 yeah. came to me as we're talking about this, and he says, The law of the Lord is perfect, yes. reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Rejoicing the heart. I mean, it's like like, like, like um, James, or Jacob, is pulling this idea. He says the law of liberty because it's a beautiful thing to him. I mean, the royal law is, is, a, is a concept pulled straight out of Judaism. That's why we have the little crowns and the Torah scrolls, That's because it. they see it as it is kingly, came yeah. from the king. Yeah, yeah, it's the king, it's the word of the, word of the king. Cool. 
Good, good, good job, good job. I think about the more that we know and understand Torah and coming in to and through this life is the more I'm open to reading other parts of teachings. Just uh, my mom and dad would never open up the Talmud. It's just you don't do that. You don't touch it. I don't even want to see what's right. in that. We're in hell if you do that. Right. For Here me, I, I, go I blind. love to look through it, see what, what relates to Yeshua. Yeah. So I can see how it opens us up to having these guidelines and already knowing these to where we can venture out yeah. and say, oh, yeah, that fits here. This yep. is good. Yep. Or if you know the truth, yeah. you can identify the falsehood. Right. So that's cool. Yeah, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs is big on that. He, his point is that like a, a man who has a strong faith doesn't get shaken by other faiths, right. and is fine being in contact with and, and even reading or talking sure. to other people of other faiths because it's like, well, you, if anything, I'm going to convince you. You're not yeah, convincing me, right. yeah. you know. And so I, I've always thought that was a, was a cool position. Yeah. I was going to say too while we were in uh, chapter two here that one of just to lift up your family a bit, I th this whole part about you know uh, where I, I just it's so perfect how he uses this phrasing too, where it's like you know talking about like works and everything, and he's like you know <laughs> you come across somebody that's hungry or, or cold, and you say go in peace, be warm and filled, <laughs> you know, and it's like that didn't do anything, that didn't do anything. you know, give the man a coat or like you give him something to eat, and I just when I met your family, unlike churches. You know, when someone's sick, it's like, yo, you show up at their house with some soup. Like, you don't say, like, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. We'll pray for you. You know, and that is exactly how this sounded to me, where it's just like, do something for crying out loud. The guy's like, you know, we need to help him. Yeah. And I, I felt like your family did such a great job at that. And cool. even even with, like, the, the moves, and I just really feel like that has spread throughout our community a bit where, where we are quite an action-based type yeah. of community and I think that really stemmed a lot from how you conducted your house and I, I was the recipient of that in many cases and I was always blown away like wow you guys actually do what you say <laughs> it, was a, it was a really cool a cool realization that's very true I, I think the Bellator is um, is, a, is a, a community of families that, that truly desires please God by doing what's right and the master said we will be known by how we treat one another our love for one another mm -hmm. is going to be the number one hallmark so I've spoke about Shabbat service to so many other people and how to get up to read the Aliyah and then as you come out you shake hands and it's like, <laughs> I feel so good <laughs> thank you guys yes, I can, yes. yes. and I got a blessing up well, yeah, the funny part yeah. is you're, you're, you're feeling, supposed to be giving us the you know, blessing so you're, you're feeling like you're up there uh, feeling good we're all shaking your hands congratulating you we just want to touch you that's it because you just got yeah. that blessing so. yeah it is uh, it is really a neat deal so but the um, yeah I think that also that when you look at this um passage the, I, the thinking about the, the example of the moving Ju Juliana recently talked to one of her um, co-worker type people at the senior center and just said you know have you ever you know has that ever happened to you had some you know, bunch of people friends help you move or whatever else family no 
she wasn't religious, so she never had a church or any, like, you know, so yeah. So I mean, like, you know, Jerry Seinfeld's got a joke where basically, you know, the only people you can get to help you move are, like, your closest friends. And it's like, well, or your entire community and you can move your entire house in less than an hour. Yeah. You know, that yeah. happens, too. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, what it was shocking and, and so beautiful was that you drove an hour to come and help Brock move. And you didn't know him, but maybe two months. <laughs> and I just, it impressed the heck out of me, man. And I just love you for it. I was glad to be there. It yeah. was super. It was for me, too. Praise God. Yeah. I, I remember as we were growing up, uh, as we were growing up, as my children were growing up, um, we had a cabinet in the kitchen called the uh, Hospitality Cabinet. And in there was uh, paper plates and napkins and other things for us to be able to quickly and easily uh, practice hospitality because I, um, I felt so convinced that it was one of the things lacking uh, in the church just in general that uh, I just go out of my way looking for somebody that was visiting our church back in those days and if you were visiting it was it was almost a guarantee you're going to get an invitation to come to my house right after the service I mean just follow us home and it was it was shocking to them, but I tell you what, it was great for my kids. They'd still be giddy in the, in the minivan on the way home, you know. Oh man, I wonder what we got. You know, and my wife is thinking, "What are we going to eat?" <laughs> and but I tell you what, it was great. They uh, they got to see us just as regular people. Uh, the kids got a chance to, to minister to folks, and, and I, I I have some great memories that I can look back on where uh, we made some lifelong friends that way. It was a cool deal. All right, so a couple things that uh, stuck out at me uh, before we get to my summary statement to see what you thought about it. Even the demons believe and shudder. Ooh. Yikes. Ooh, how, how, how he sets it up. He says, you believe that God is one, as in the Shema that we yeah, say twice right, a day. Right, right. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. That's right. Come on. You know, it's like, that's bottom shelf stuff. What's the matter with these? That's stuff? lower than bottom right, shelf stuff. That's right. So... Abraham justified by works. So what, what comes first? The faith or the works? According to James. I, I would say the works. I don't think so. It's like faith. Yeah. He uses Abraham and yeah. says, you know. I know, but in that case, he Abraham was, did something first. And no, then it was kind of righteousness. No. You have to believe no, but the faith came first, but the works faith. proved the faith. Yeah. So the, oh. I think the way to get around what obviously Martin Luther had a problem with was the word justified. Okay, hold on, hold on. What, what, so what are, what, are we, what are we saying that faith is then? Belief. Okay. But if you just believe, if you believe that God is one, even the demons believe that. Okay, what's, okay, what's, that. what's more important? That the faith is worked out and is evidenced. That fruit that you talked about earlier. Yeah. And I think that's exactly where James is coming from. Because he doesn't say, in fact, I want to get the exact quote here. Gotcha. Uh, he does not say, here it is, verse 26 of chapter 2. It's the last verse in chapter 2. He says, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Faith comes first. And if you've got faith, that's great. But if you don't have the works, your faith is dead. Okay. I think so, uh, the church now cheapens the word faith to be just believe. 
Exactly. And think think really hard. Agree. The very beginning of the commandments is to believe. That's, That's the very first thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Nothing else matters until you believe. Then you can God. actually grow and know. Right. So faith is committed. It's yeah. It's completely That's, sold out. That was kind of where I was going with saying that the works sort of come first because I think his point is saying if you thought you had faith but there were no works then that wasn't actually faith. Like, but the, the but again, you're you're looking back right, to say that you got your faith. Right, right, right. Okay. So I think he's always got it in that order. Yeah. In yeah. In, in eighteen two eighteen, he picks up. Mm-hmm. Someone will say, "You have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works." And I think that's that's where he's coming from. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, to 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 help Martin Luther deal with this book. Um, it's nowhere in here. Faith apart from works is useless. Um, he, he doesn't say that you have salvation through the faith. You have justification through the works. Right? Did I say that right? James does not say that you get salvation through works. He says you get justification through works. The salvation comes from the faith. Uh, what's the verse I'm thinking of? By faith comes hearing, and hearing by the word of God. It's in Romans, right? Yeah, it's uh, Hebrews. Hebrews? No, it's in Romans. Oh, it, it Romans, so. Romans 6? Oh, 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 yeah. Faith comes I by hearing, and hearing by the word, word of God. God. That's it. Yeah, sorry. Say it again. I think it, yeah. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Right. So. Then he also says, like, how can they believe they're, they're they're not hear, and hear? Isn't that the one, too, that says, come hearing, hearing the word of Messiah, not God. Oh, it might be. It might be that one. Maybe Hebrews, and I'm thinking of the the he was yeah, sent as Romans. Oh, yeah. Okay. This where is it? Romans seven or six? I thought it was six. Anyway, bottom line, before I lose all train of thought here, is we have salvation, which I believe is a point in time where we are saved. That is a work of God. Romans ten seventeen. 10, 17. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that is the words of Messiah in Romans. In Romans? So faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Aha, good, good. All right, so salvation, a point in time, and that is a work of God. And then we have sanctification, which is a process whereby we are made more and more set apart, more and more holy, and this is only by what what we do. This is exactly what happens to the vessels that are even accidentally used in the temple service, in anything in the temple. Even if it touches something, that act makes that vessel holy and can never be used for common stuff anymore. That sanctification process is, in my opinion, a, a lifetime. That is that becoming more and more holy, right? And we are commanded, both in the Old Testament as well as in the New to be holy. We just went through that one last week's portion or the week before. Therefore you to be holy as you're, as I am holy, says God. And then in Matthew 5, uh, back into Matthew 5, 6 or 7. Matthew 5, yeah. One of the last verses in Matthew 5. 20, Matthew 5, 49, something like that, says, uh, therefore you to be holy as your heavenly Father is holy. Right? 
Oh, yes. Be perfect because you're going to be perfect. Yeah, perfect. perfect. Yeah, perfect. Just as your clever. There you go. What's, what's the verse number? That's 48. 48. 548. Got it. So, where does. Oh, and then, so again, to, to follow my timeline here, sa salvation is a point in time, it is a work of God. Then, sanctification is a work of both God and us. We work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And it is God who has begun a good work in you, and he will be faithful to bring it to completion. And then the end, we are glorified. So we have glorification at the end as we have a place in the world to come. So tell me, along this timeline I built for you, starting with salvation, ending with glorification, filled with sanctification, where is justification? Some ways it seems like it would ultimately come at the end, right? Okay. Because it's or whatever proves that it was real. Ah. That seems to be the thing with Abraham, because okay, so Abraham goes through tradition holes. Abraham goes through ten trials. So the one that J James Jacob keys in on at the end is the last one. He's focusing on, and if you read the Torah, it actually reads this way. So God comes to Abraham. Makes him a promise. I'm going to give you a seed. I'm going to give you a land, etc., etc., etc. Then uh, he repeats that promise throughout the relationship. Uh, Abraham believes has kind of created him towards righteous to righteousness, but the promise isn't necessarily related to that. I mean, it is, but it's like it's almost like God's doing it in spite of him, and it's like just like He does to us. He's giving it to him, and Abraham just responding to it. Then at the very end, Abraham offers Isaac. The angel, who's the messenger for God at this point reiterates the same promise that God had made at the beginning of the story regarding seed and land and so on and so forth, as, the, as if to say, now you've earned it almost. Not to say that you actually, I mean, not that earned it in that sense, but like now you've proven that that investment by God is, is worthwhile and it's as though it's being sealed now, which is why Jacob's doing that. He's, 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 he's talking about this journey for Abraham that starts over here but it culminates at the end by an act. Somebody argued that justification is at the beginning. I agree with him 100%. So does the scripture. Argue that it happens at the beginning. It happens at the beginning because of God's investment at the beginning. Correct. That's exactly right. Because God has given us everything that we need to be righteous men and women at the very moment. There's nothing that we're lacking there it is. So, is justification at the point of salvation? Absolutely, of course. Because we're already saved. Is justification at the end, when we're glorified, or just before? Or as we stand before the king, the judge of all the earth? Yes, of course, we're justified at the end as well. Because then our works in righteousness, which we cannot do without his help, justify our not guilty verdict. Because our penalty has been paid by the righteous one. Amen? Amen. All right. So if you look at what... I'm sorry? And that has to be worked out every day. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right? Um, and and if, you, if you modify the words or look at it, you can, from the scripture, also say that you're being saved each day. Each hour, in the same way that he gives us breath. In the Modeani, when we get up in the morning, 
You know, man, you, you restored my soul. Literally, you've saved me from death again, over and over and over again. So, um, I, it makes me think of God not being bound by time, but us yes. being bound yes. by time reaches into yes. this time, touches us, and yes. no matter what, we are that yes. saved, justified at either end that we see. That's exactly right. And, and the only reason why we even have to ask the question, when are we justified, is because we are in time, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So yeah. If, if the master were to come now, literally now, would you be justified? I hope the answer yes. from all of you is yes. Yeah. yes. But then I would ask you, if that's true, are you not in need of more sanctification? Hopefully also the, the answer is yes, especially for this side of the couch. So uh, I don't think, I don't think that, that Brother Luther was justified in wanting to take the book of James out of his Bible, which he did, simply for, because he thought that James was teaching that we're saved by works and not by faith. James really has it down well because almost everything he says is a beautiful parallel, as you pointed out, Joshua, to what the Master's already said, which is what the people of God, especially the Jews, have been hearing over and over and over and over again, and they're killing the prophets, etc. That's why I'm saying like this is the audience is so critical here because he's not teaching the way of salvation. They already know that. That's right. They, they already know the way of salvation. They already know how to connect with God. And they already know that God has saved them and will work through them. Um, it's interesting to me that we don't have a whole lot of writings that have been preserved from James where he wrote to Jews that had not accepted Yeshua as the Messiah. Always wonder what's in the library under the Catholic Church, right? You know, <laughs> open that up. It, if if these are the guys that snatched everything up and mm -hmm. you know just kind of twerked everything over, you know, and went, oh no, it's way too Jewish. Forget that. Yeah. Anyway. All right. So I put in blue on page thirty-five in the study guide. Um, watch what you do. Watch how you act. Watch what you say. Watch what you want and watch how you spend. All of this watching is just a list of an action that deals with another action, which I think is where James ultimately is coming from. What do you think of this? You like it? You don't like it? Uh, yeah, I like it a lot. Yeah? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the whole idea of watching kind of makes me think of like that that alacrity that comes with the Shema. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like obey, yeah. but it's like saying it in kind of like a hey, wake up kind yeah. of way. Like yeah. you gotta You're obey. You're supposed to guard this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Paul guard. says walk circumspectly. Well it's like um, as you're walking, watch where you're walking. They call him Shomer Shabbos. Right. Which literally translated means keeper of keeper the Shabbat. Guard of the Shabbat. But it's the idea of guarding it, like yeah. you're protecting it. Yeah. And, and, and making sure it's not violated. And I got to tell you, as a dad, as a husband, 
uh, as, a, as a business owner, that's hard. Mm. It really is hard. It, it's so easy for things and people and desires and sin to encroach upon the Sabbath every stinking week. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I wish, I wish it got easier, but it doesn't seem to. Mm-hmm. The more I, I feel like I'm, I'm plugged in and I've, I've, I've got my act somewhat together, I, I, I find myself um, catching myself in, in the midst of doing something that I would never dream of doing years back. But, I mean, you, just get, you get comfortable. And that's why I'm so grateful for community. Because, you know, we sharpen one another as we come together, and even even in class, and it's like, yeah, oh, he had a really good point there. I gotta need to work on that myself, you know? Or he's memorized James. Yeah, well, so did I, but probably almost before he was born. So I can barely remember anything but the first five or six verses, which always impresses somebody like Caleb, who hasn't gotten to the ninth or tenth verses yet. But once he does, he'll realize <laughs> I'm just such a slacker. All right. So I'll that, get there. That gets to something I was gonna I was curious about. So I have a little bit of extra time here. What, what part of James, like, grabbed you? This could be anybody, the most. Like, what, what convicted you more than anything? Because for me, it was the tongue. I mean, that oh, was. Oh, yeah. Especially you think about the idea of like, Lashon Hara and all the ramifications of that, and speaking evil of people and and whatnot, um, judging people. That just that really hit me hard reading through it and I'm just curious what other people thought I listened to a uh, it's an album book of James they sing it all the way through and every time they come to mercy triumphs over judgment it just resonates with me every Mm. time mercy triumphs and you're not even from New York right wow yeah cool I can tell you that James chapter 3 and verse 1 has a it's just been a watch word for me for many, many years, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. No pressure. Mm. Well, then he goes, why? Because the whole next like chapter is about the tongue. And yes. he's like, no you're question. teaching. It's you're doing a lot yeah. of talking. That's, right. that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's, it's, that's the one for me. So. That, that was probably the one that stood out, that has always stood out to me the most. And it actually has influenced any time that I try to put together a class, I, I only try to put together like a discussion. <laughs> Just so that, because I, that is such a scary verse and, and I, I do not and have not and probably will not feel like the calling of a teacher. Yeah. I, I like sharing information, but I, I don't like teaching it. Um, and and so that that is one of those buzzwords for me. but. This, this time around, I would say the most convicted I feel is James chapter 1, the last part about religion that is pure and undefiled before yeah. God is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained Stained from, from the, the world. world. Mm-hmm. Like, that, the, the, the minute, I don't know why, but for me, what that always reminds me of is like music mm. um, and like other other things that are so subtle but are very much reek of the world that that are very alluring and, and can easily distract you um, me I should say and so that I, I, I that was always a very convicting thing and the way that he phrases the orphans and widows thing is always so convicting because it's not and you know to send money to orphans and widows from 2,000 miles away. It's like 
visiting them in their affliction. Like, that, that always reminds me of Yeshua, like, literally touching lepers, things that people would never even dream of doing. You know, he just brings that faith home so much. And I always realize, like, oh, I have so much to work on. I have a it, long way to go here. It is, um, it is curious that whenever somebody wants to talk about true religion, they, they want to, you know, quote, quote the verse from James about you know, widows and orphans. But it's not just widows and orphans. I know a lot of widows and orphans. Some of them are quite wealthy. It's widows and orphans in their distress. Because there are widows and orphans that are in distress. And like the plight of the unborn in America, I seem to think that widows and orphans normally don't get a voice. We, the master talked about the widow banging on the judge's door trying to get justice, right? Um, and it was because you know she, she was making all the noise. Widows and orphans normally don't get a voice. They're normally not heard. They don't, they're normally not uh, players in a big congregation where they can stand up and say, hey, um, I need help. Because most people don't do that. And uh, It's actually hard to find people and places to give the help to a lot of times yeah. because of things like that. It's so quiet. And... and yeah. Just like with the poor and the homeless, and we just sweep them under the rug. Kind of in a wealthy nation, it can also be difficult to find ways to help people. It's yeah. It's very, yeah, it, everything's kind of behind institutions. And That's we our tried, We've yeah. been allowed that to happen. We tried, and it was probably a couple of years ago now, but we, we tried, like, going and, and you know, taking, like, some, some a few items to, like, uh, some orphans in, in Charlotte. Mm. And it was... Such a different experience that I was expecting. It's like you go to like the big building for Thompson's Children's Home. It's like an orphanage, you know. But like it's like a really nice big building. And then there's like it. it you walk in, it feels exactly like a school. There's a receptionist there, and yeah. there's like oh no, no you, I mean you're not going to see the kids. I mean there's security protocol. There's yeah. like you know like thanks for your bad, but you should see the IT you, you should, Yeah. Oh, really? I've been there. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was just about to say these. Some of these institutions are becoming prisons to keep you That's away right. from helping and, That's right. and also to keep them away from right. you because yeah. we want to we want our streets to be clean and we yeah. don't want things but, there but I think to your point it, it also forces you to give to the institution rather than directly to the kids mm -hmm. well I got this coat I want to give this to an orphan who's cold well if you just live here on the desk we'll find an orphan somewhere that's cold you know, anybody who walks past the front desk here who's shivering is going to get your coat. That's not what you're looking for. It's it, that institutionalism keeps and us from they might sell the coat. Sure, right? <laughs> to, yeah, to offset to pay expenses. the administrative costs. Exactly. So we're yeah. heating the building with and your all coat. All kids have to have these coats. They can't have that coat. Exactly. We, um, because it has germs on it. If you walk around uptown at all, or in a, in a more dire reason to find yourself or some getting lost bit and ending up getting around near to the bus station um, you will see yeah. a, a lot of people who definitely um, need help some of whom will ask for help some of whom won't um, some of whom may be needing help because of their own problems right. but I mean there's right. a lot of reasons for that but yeah it's just interesting to get that that contrast and especially when you live in the suburbs 
um, even with like panhandling laws and other types yeah, of things like we're that. We're so concerned. We our our society is structured to avoid it, and that's one of the beautiful things about in being in Jerusalem, is mm-hmm. it's everywhere, it's and, everywhere, and and you can't get away from people who need something, yeah. and they don't package them away; they let them be there. Right. Yeah, I think um, I strongly disagree with mission trips for kids teens and stuff like that I'm not into that at all um, but I have seen teens go off not to a volleyball camp in the Bahamas so that they can at some point walk down the street and pass out tracks but rather go to some impoverished area that's been hit with a tornado or a tsunami or something like that and they're helping to build a school or they're helping to rebuild homes world changers yeah stuff like that right Uh, and those kids those kids come home and they're not looking for the latest iPod or the latest iPhone they're shaken they're shaken to the core because they've they've come in contact with the widows and the orphans and so forth so anyway at least for three months yeah it does wear off I grant you that but but you do it does plant a seed it does and and, you know if, if they're in a community or a congregation, or an assembly, a kahal, an ecclesia that would grab that and and work with it. I think it'd be great. The, one of the reasons, by the way, just so you know, especially for somebody who doesn't know me and is listening from afar, the reason why I'm against the mission trips for the kids is because of what these guys just said. We don't need to leave the city. We don't need to leave the state. We got plenty of poor people, and we got people that need homes. So. Soup kitchens, you know, we've, we've got stuff that can be done and we can affect and impact them right now and take all the money that got raised for the trip to go play volleyball on the beach and and do something about it. And you can find the good institutions too. That, Absolutely. That are really going to be effective with your money. You bet. Oh, yeah. and, and these yeah. guys are pretty good at finding some of those that are actually in the land of Israel. So you're, you know, if you want to put your money towards something like that, you can as well. Good, good. All right, let's see. What was the last thing? Well, just just yes, uh, add something in there. Um, I know a lot of people misuse reaching their hand out, but when I first was learning the Hebrew alphabet, mm-hmm. Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalit, the Gimel is supposed to represent the Holy Spirit going out. It's, it's us also going out, but the Dalit is also the poor. And you can see like the little man in the Gimel like running out and you look at the dollet and it's got that little hand right on the side and mm. it's the poorest job to say please help so and it, that's mm. how they sort of a give and take thing. right mm. you have to say help me in order for the holy spirit to come out yeah. and help as well yeah. mm. my so, family uh, helps a couple of widows yeah. there's not much um, but i'm always surprised the one or two of them will send a note and say, um, like I, I, I recently got one, and, and she said, down to five bucks in my checking account. And I was wondering how I was going to pay the bills. And I didn't get a warm fuzzy that we sent money. I got a, a thing in the pit of my stomach. Suppose I hadn't sent it. Did, did she not feel open enough to share that with me you know again it's not in our nature to ask for help especially in our country yeah 
So there's a lot of cases I would have never known that the person in this society now to where everything is Sense. so PR. Yeah. Oh, look at me. Yeah. You know, yeah. That I wouldn't have known they were hurting. Yeah. By their Facebook posts, they look great. Yeah. Yeah. And quite frankly, most of the uh, beautiful people yeah. have horrible lives. Right. And they just live in the facade. You know, and you, and you see the. You see that in a lot of churches, which is why most churches are not growing, and why Christianity is not taking over the world. Islam is. So. You know, going back to the Torah, saying that there will always be poor people, it's a really beautiful yeah. circle that you just described, because the issue that wealthy people have is pride, and that's the one thing that a poor person doesn't have. And that's one, person, that's one thing that a, a rich person can learn from the poor person is, how does them be a little more? Yeah, you know, exactly like it could right. it could have easily been you, that's like in the in that other position. Yeah, but then crazy to thing. a poor person, like you, you're like Hashem to them. Yeah. You're like yeah. a, a, actually, a miracle all of a sudden. And actually, that's exactly what the sages say you are. Yeah, that's why right, you got like the money. Yeah. You are supposed to be providing for that to give to give. Yeah, exactly. That's It's really thing. the way that it's supposed to work. Is that beautiful cycle where the rich. Are, are humbled by their generosity to the poor, and the poor are strengthened in their faith by the generosity of the rich. Yes, you know, and we just keep it going like that. Yeah. Because you'll always have poor. Yeah. So, all right. So, w what was the purpose uh, as we as we finish up our last few minutes here? What was the purpose of reading James now? Two reasons. It's right before the Jerusalem Council. It's right before the Jerusalem Council, and who's in charge of the council? James. James. And secondly? He's about to die. Yeah. That's exactly right. Reading ahead. Good job. Do you, yeah. know, do you know what his reputation was? That's the thing. You read this book, and it's a heavy-hitting book, and it, it'd be easy to kind of think, you know... Iron fist. Well, more than that. Well, I was thinking more like, you know, don't throw stones from glass houses yeah. kind of thing, right? Um, James' reputation was spotless. Yeah. He was considered to be, he was called James the Righteous. Or, or James the Just. James yeah. the Just, but the same, it, yeah. Same word. So it's like he, his standard was so high. He was known for prayer. He was also, um, when he dies, yeah. it's he's actually thrown from the, the, the Temple Mount by the uh, Sadducees who were upset with him. Not unlike the way the Master was brought right. by the devil to the pinnacle of the Temple. Right. Jump off. You know, if you're the son of God, I mean, you know, yeah, God's actually, not I think he's from, from the temple and not the yeah. okay, anyway, point is that after that happened, the Pharisees, who are not exactly buddy buddy with the way, go to Rome yeah, to complain. Yeah. They're the ones who go to Rome and say, You gotta you can't believe what the priest here just did to this really great guy with no cause. It is an amazing thing. So and, uh, legend has it that, you know, he's he's he had camel's knees because he was always on his knees praying. And uh, when he was thrown off the temple, um, he landed and he actually got up on his knees and asked God not to hold that against their charge, just like Stephen had done. The guy was amazing. So this guy we read about, a, a just man, obviously a man with wisdom, patience, able to teach, able to guard his tongue, 
able to put together a pretty cool letter. Um, that's the guy who's going to listen to everything going on in the Jerusalem Council, and he's going to come to a decision, which I find amazing. So we're, that's Acts 15 and uh, a little bit of 16, I guess, is what we're going to be reading for next week. And I, I think if there's if there's two passages in in the book of Acts that sent through misinterpretation sent the visible representation of the church we have today down the wrong path. It was Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 15. In Acts chapter 10, we've got Cornelius and Peter's vision um, of what not to eat or actually what has been made clean by God. Uh, and then we've got Acts chapter 15 where uh, we've got a question. So uh, as you go through this uh, during this next week, um, Tuesday is the first day of Unleavened Bread, uh, and it is a Sabbath. It is a uh, Yom Tov. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm off from work, and I will be here praying, so you're welcome to come anytime and pray. Um, better call ahead of time or write ahead of time just so my wife knows. But, uh, uh, but there's still going to be class, so I hope you'll come and... My plan is, uh, since we'll be ending a Yom Tov, uh, we'll do uh, Havdalah or something uh, at that point. Havdalah's on my calendar, but Havdalah is, is, a, is a weekly Sabbath thing, so I don't know really what you do there. Like, you know, do we There's have, still a ceremony, but it's not it's all It's not pieces. the whole deal, right? Okay, yeah. so yeah. We'll, it's about 8.30. So if we get started on time, we'll finish, and we'll, we'll have Havdalah at that point uh, together. Sounds great. Cool. Yeah. Great. I, I look forward to it. I think I think Acts fifteen is uh, is an incredibly important thing. And if you're if you're doing a study called What About Me? But Halakha for non Jews, this should be the pinnacle of of the study is Acts fifteen and what did they conclude and why did they conclude what they concluded and so forth and what was the understanding. So Take your time with it. I, I hope we have a full house. Uh, I think it'll be one of the on weeks for Isaac, so he'll be here. Uh, I'm hoping uh, Scott and the allergies and the kids will be here and uh, Greg uh, back as well. So it'll be, it'll be good. So I think it'll be, uh, be a strong class. So um, just so you re recognize, because we know timing-wise we're at the back end of the 40s in the Common Era and 47 issues when James was killed, um, you also need to recognize that we've already seen Paul's first missionary journey, and after we do 15, we'll get God bless you into you. the second missionary journey. And then before you know it, like in two weeks, we're going to be doing the book of Galatians. Right? So we've already had Acts 15, so the church in Galatia needs some guidance and may have been affected by what Paul calls Judaizers. So we'll, we'll be examining that. But I want you to recognize, and you can check it in the, in the readings that are left, chronologically, we're now going to be hopping back and forth, and we won't be in Acts for many, many chapters at a time. There's only 28 chapters in Acts, and we're, we're already going to be into 17 and 18 once we get to the second missionary journey. And we'll be, then we go into six chapters of Galatians and so forth, so we'll be bouncing around, and it should get kind of exciting.
we'll probably close out the, the book, the manual, uh, number two, with the next, probably the next class or two, and then we'll put a third manual together just so they don't get too large for Gregory's phone, because then he gets grumpy. It's just hard to download. I know, I know. Uh, yeah, it's hard Especially to download. on LTE. Yeah, I know it, man. <laughs> I, I had to put... Uh, I put, oh, by the way, for especially for Caleb, um, I put in, in not next week's lesson, but the, the week after when we go through the second missionary journey, I gave you a map of the second missionary journey again so you can see how far he's going. It's pretty astonishing. But then I gave you another map that overlays today's countries on top of where he went. Cool. So, you know, did he ever go to Bosnia? Well, check it on the map. So it's, it's, it's pretty neat there. All right? Final comments. Say uh, Acts ten, Acts fifteen, yeah. Galatians, and such mm -hmm. calls yeah, the church to go veer off in a direction. I think that people caused the church to veer off in a direction, and they used those verses to, oh, yeah. to absolutely guide them in that direction. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. Um, in the same way that we looked at the bias that we saw in some of the text, um, some there's more of it there that is. Truly amazing, and we'll, we'll be looking at some of that. But it's clear that these biases were not put in there by simply the, the guy who was translating or the group that was translating that particular version. It was already settled doctrine that caused them to do that. That's what. Um, so it's not the guy. I'm thinking when it first started, it was probably difficult to actually get people to listen to the bad teaching. I don't know. And then I don't know. I, I hope by the time we. I finish, mean, there's. Temptations that help you not listen, you know, hey, you don't have to do all that stuff, you know. Sure. Oh, good, I don't have to worry about rules. Sure, it could be. Or, or it could be that it, it got torqued so quick that there was really only a handful that actually knew how we should behave. It really reminds me of the um, book of Joshua, Judges, rather. That every, says, month, every man does right Well, before own. that, it says that the generation of Joshua died, mm. and the generation immediately after that did not know the Lord yeah. and I think the same thing seems to yeah. happen here the disciples the apostles I mean, we're going to read at the end of our study stuff from John yeah. he dies at the end of the first century and immediately that very next generation of teachers is already going way off the deep end yeah. and, and we've, we've got those Catholic um, bishops and priests and uh, monks that from that era that are fathers of the church and by that time it's already settled you know it's we're not going to do the Jewish stuff and it's unfortunate so um, I am really enjoying my time of spending uh, with other people who either assume I'm Jewish or they'll say are you a Messianic Jew so I always have to stop and smile at him and say well, you know that's a weird term right so Messianic Jew implies to me that you mean a Jew that's messianic. A Jew that believes that Yeshua is the Messiah. Yes. Then no. And then they get this confused look, and they normally look at the top of my head. If I'm not wearing a ball cap, um, you know, I've got my kippah on. And so I go, well, what would lead you to believe that I was Jewish? Is it the nose? And they laugh, and we talk about it, and then I, I share with them that I believe that Yeshua is the Messiah, 
And no, I grew up in the Methodist Church. I'm not Jewish. I'm a non-Jew who keeps the Torah. And I think in getting an opportunity to go through a couple of hurdles and present it that way makes them realize that there's a good common bond, but there's also this track that they probably don't know anything about. And normally, since they asked about it, they're willing and receptive to talk about it. So, it's been different. But I think it's been better of late because I think more and more people are disillusioned with the church and are, are seeing what's happening to their grown kids when they go off to college. And if, well, 12 years in the Baptist church didn't seem to help. She met the first Muslim and now she wants to do jihad overseas. You know, so it's not working out too well. Todd, do you think you can uh, close this in prayer? Just any prayer? Anything you want. If you could do it in Latin, that'd be really cool. But, you know, just, you know, no, I'll, I'll take English. Sent me to German when I asked for Latin. <laughs> I can't say a prayer in German either. <laughs> they can. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us together and directing us through good teaching and giving us many insights and revelations and nuggets of your scripture, which we haven't seen before. Those that are well studied and those that are less studied are just really digging up treasure. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, and Yeshua's.